Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. As always, Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time, only on Red State Talk Radio. So today is July 11th. Uh, 2019. Um, it's a pretty exciting week that is coming up. Uh, you know, we have uh, the Mueller testimony coming. Will it happen? Will it not happen? And will the Democrats decide that there are stipulations on what we can discuss and what, uh, you know, uh, questions can be asked? Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how this evolves. Uh, there are a lot of things uh, that uh, should be discussed today. There are many, many things. And a lot of people uh, in the media, in the alternative media space, citizens journalism space, have been touching upon, hence uh, uh, n- not elaborating it myself. But I was excited to see that the mainstream media uh, yesterday picked up on the things that I have been saying. So I guess they're Tory Says fans. But people need to understand that Epstein had ties with the Central Intelligence Agency, Central Agency, as I like to call, because they are an abomination uh, when referring to a free nation. Uh, And I want to uh, further elaborate on that in the respects of why would they get involved? It is always a thought that the time that they would come in, in, in courts or in prosecution, that they need not have to make statements to any district judge of matters of foreign interference, of uh, national security, that maybe even the judge is not allowed to see. And there are cases as such. So again, one will have to wonder, why was Jeffrey Epstein so protected? And I say it again. He was an insurance collector. That is all you need to know. He was an insurance collector. How do you make sure that you keep people in line by having dirt on them? That's how it works. Okay. If you have dirt on someone, you have the ability to control everything. Now, our president has been busy this morning tweeting lots of things, and I want us to go over it because, you know, I found it very, very, very interesting uh, what he retweeted and um, what 
he is saying. So the first thing is, is that he retweeted Katie Hopkins, who I adore. She's like the female version of Milo Yiannopoulos. Um, and she said, God willing, jihadi failing, I am going to be alive and to see Trump in the White House, Boris in number 10, Netanyahu building Israel, Bolsonaro, Salvini, Orban, Kaczynski, and the right-minded uh, bringing strength in depth. What a time to be alive. The fight back by proud nations is on. Very true. Now, speaking of England, I just wanted to say I did make mention a few days ago, and I'm pretty glad that someone maybe listened to it and maybe put an earwig in Tommy Robinson's ear. But he pled to our president, to our nation for asylum as a refugee. And as we know, uh, to qualify as a refugee, you need to be persecuted by your own country. Your country has to, you know, do things that make no sense, like prosecute you under laws that don't apply and throw you in jail and risk your life. This is what is happening to Tommy Robinson. This is happening in a nation that people consider is a free nation. Okay, they consider the United Kingdom some, you know, I don't know how people have this illusion. How do you have a queen and be free? How do you, when you purchase a house, it's either a leasehold or a freehold, but you think you're free. It's just incredible. So, uh, you know, I really wish that something could have been done on that, on offering him, uh, you know, refugee status. But right now, our relations with the United Kingdom are on the fritz, are really on the fritz. So we'll see how that pans out and what's going to go on. Now, today we do have the social media summit where the list was pretty huge. There were a lot of us going and, you know, that dwindled down and it was rescinded for whatever X, Y, Z reason. Basically, uh, they're all going to kind of um, discuss things about social media discuss, uh, you know, what is going on in the scope of uh, social media platforms and how it's used. And then once they have those discussions, they're going to go to the Rose Garden and have a news conference on the census of uh, citizenship. So they're going to talk about that of the 2020 census. Um, Again, uh, he talks about Minnesota in another tweet where he says that the Pledge of Allegiance to our great country in St. Louis Park, Minnesota is under siege. That is why I'm going to win the great state of Minnesota in the 2020 election. People are sick and tired of this stupidity and disloyalty to our wonderful USA. Now, yesterday I told you that I was writing up something and I put it through the lauralumer.us site. I will be copying my article from there and also putting it on my site, obviously referencing that it's on the Laura Loomer site. And I'm going to be putting on another one through Laura's site first. Now, this one is going to be demonstrating how Ilhan Omar. Oh, you know, should I? I'll talk about that later. But it is going to be really, really exciting. I've done a lot of work into this one. So um, let's just say I think I've found a way to really hold her accountable. And what I also saw was that the left media, like the Huffington Post, the Washington Post, the Examiner, uh, New York Times, even Politico and The Hill had articles discussing what I'm saying Omar is doing and that it's treasonous because she's colluding with a foreign government 
And they wrote the same thing about that same government trying to frame Devin Nunes and Flynn as people colluding with the enemy of our country. And guess what? They deleted all those articles. But guess what? I found them. Nothing dies on the internet. Nothing ever dies on the internet. So, you know, that'll be another demonstration of how the left, you know, has a bias, how they use our enemies, you know, against the people that are fighting for us. And yet, uh, you know, when one of their own colludes, um, and cozies up with the enemies of the United States, it's no big deal because there's no trace of them calling that country an enemy. So I found that. Uh, moving along, the president said nearly one million more blacks and two million more Hispanics are employed than when Barack Obama left office. And minorities account for more than half of all new jobs created during the Trump presidency, unemployment among black women has hovered near 5% for the last six months, the lowest since 1972. And um, that was um, the Wall Street Journal editorial board, A Tale of Two Economies, that Laura Ingram discussed. Robert, BET, I give the president a lot of credit for moving the economy in a positive direction that's benefiting a large number of Americans. I think the tax cuts clearly help stimulate the economy. Overall, if you look at the U.S. economy and you look at the number of people who are no longer looking for jobs, but who are now seeing the opportunity for job growth, you've got to give the president an A plus for that. And he said, thank you, Robert. You're one of great business leaders. Continuing on, he struck back at the fake news media again. And he said, the fake news media loves the narrative that I didn't use. Many blank, many banks, because the banks don't like me. Um, I didn't use many banks because I didn't. And I don't need their money. Old fashioned, isn't it? If I did, it would have been very easy for me to get. Again, they're targeting, you know, his banking situations. You know, you know, what's funny is that they keep going after who the president used to bank with, who this. Why don't they talk about the people in Congress and in the Senate? who bank with specific banks. Why don't we talk about how members of Congress were banking with banks that were helping Iran move money around? You know, one can infer that, you know, if we were allowed to see the transactions, maybe they got kickbacks. Why don't we see who the DNC banks with? Why don't we see which bank in the United States offered all the foreign currency so we can put on that plane and send it to Iran? Why don't we see those banks? Why are they targeting just our president? Time to turn the tables, right, guys? Why don't we start looking at them? Let me look at your bank accounts. Let's see how much money you got from Venezuela on your, you know, um, minerals companies, Pelosi, Blumenthal. I can keep going. This is... Uh, a really big issue because we have so many people out there right now uh, within the scope of our social media or online community, as you say, that are demonstrating outrage for all these, but no one is doing anything. No one. I mean, on an average, every day, I file like two or three FOIA requests. Two or three of them. Like for Jeffrey Epstein, I literally put a FOIA request into the Central Intelligence Agency and said, give me any documentation or any notes or anything that indicate that Jeffrey Epstein has, um, you know, worked with or was assigned with or was using something, anything relating to you. 
This is what everybody should be doing. I mean, it doesn't take more than five seconds to get on FOIA.gov and just put it out there and get a letter back, uh, probe, make them set fires. Because just like I set fires with Enron, suddenly things started to move. I put a fire in March. I put a fire in March and in April, suddenly this case that has been dead for 18 years, a case of Enron that was dead for 18 years, suddenly was resurrected and they were like, hey, so this case hasn't moved. So now we would kind of like it to be closed and purged. So I emailed the people that initiated that move and said, hey, can you like send me any communications, minutes, notes of, you know, why you decided now after 18 years, what probed you, what pushed you to ask the court to end this Enron case and purge it. This is how we get things done. This is how we get to the bottom of things. And every single person out there listening to my voice right now can do it. It is so freaking easy. It's not like in the olden days when you'd have to go down to city hall and file paperwork and do all this stuff. You could go online probe because sometimes even if you just ask a question, if they're doing something wrong, they will do everything to cover it up. And as they're covering it up, the good guys are seeing them covering up and they get caught. You see what I'm saying? So this is how we can do our part and we should be doing our part. Okay. Cause this is our nation. You don't have to let other people like other investigative journalists do it for you. You're a shareholder. You should do it too. You should get on there. You should write, you know, ask questions, probe. And you know what? If you get a response from a FOIA request and you have no idea what to do with it, there are so many investigative journalists out there that you can reach out to via DM and say, Hey, I got this. I, I you know, this is above my pay grade, but at least I got this. Maybe this will help with something you know this is how we all participate the president has been urging us all to participate and we're not so anyway uh moving forward i just wanted to say as he was talking about the banks and um he also tweeted and remember a bank that i did use years ago the now badly written about and maligned deutsche bank was the was one of the largest and most prestigious banks in the world they wanted my business so did many others and let me remind you let me tell you something about deutsche bank because I know Deutsche Bank very well. Very, very well. Uh, their London offices, I did... Um I actually dwelled in their London office on their executive floor and their institutional investing arm um, in the early thousands. I can tell you one thing. Deutsche Bank had bought out a ton of little banks a ton of little investment firms. And then AIG came and AIG is a giant. It's like an umbrella, right? It's huge. And then they bought them the, or they merge or whatever, because Deutsche AIG are kind of one in the same, you know? Uh, so I just want to point that out because AIG is going to be coming into the forefront again and um, has to do with Africa. And by the way, did you guys see the tweet from Barack Hussein Obama talking about Africa? I told you it was coming. Africa is coming to the forefront and so is AIG with Africa. So further that the president then tweets, uh, sends another tweet. This time he's talking about kids in cages. He says Democrats had to quickly take down the tweet called kids in cages 
inhumane treatment at the border because the horrible picture used was from the Obama years. Very embarrassing. Now the Democrats have asked to see 12 more people who have already spent hours with Robert Mueller to spend and spent a fortune on lawyers in doing so. How many bites at the apple do they get before working on border loopholes and asylum? They also want to interview highly conflicted and compromised Mueller again. He said he was done after his last nine-minute speech and that he had nothing more to say outside of the no collusion, no obstruction report. Enough already. Get back to work. I won unanimously the big emolument closed case uh the emoluments closed was a uh, case was closed yesterday and that's something that i was talking about he said will be a big and exciting day um at the white house for social media i don't seem to agree because a lot of the people that got uh president trump's message across a lot of the people that um pushed and drove a public discourse either by being very extreme to trigger responses or very um, uh, unfiltered to trigger responses, they actually helped and they're not there. That for me is like, mm, I don't know, you know, if you didn't have people like Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos, Laura Loomer, you know, all of them constantly putting out, putting out messages, talking about what the problems are, demonstrating the differences between President Trump and Hillary, exposing, you know, the Clinton cartel, exposing just the tip of the iceberg, because you guys have no idea. The Clinton cartel is part of a bigger cartel. The Clintons are like um, the window, you know, like when you go shopping, you know, you get like a window display and it's like, there you go. You know, look at these nice clothes. We've got it in here. And then when you go in, it's like massive, right? Like if you go to Harrods, it's like they have like these two models and one handbag and you're like, oh, nice. Okay. But when you go inside, it's like super massive, tons of stuff, so much going on. This is exactly how the fourth unelected branch of government works and the cartels that run this planet. And I've spoken about the nine that are supposed to be there. And, you know, we've spoken about all these groups. We've talked about, you know, um, the mega group. We've talked about, you know, all these other St. Joseph, uh, so, you know, societies. We've talked about in in summary, I would guess, and kind of skirting over it, you need to understand that things are a lot more complex. And they, and when discussed, they take you to like forty thousand altitude, and you got to wear a tinfoil hat because they are so frowned upon by uh, the mainstream society. And that's because the mainstream media has done their job. They have done their job to condition people to think that if so many people are saying it, it has to be true. And, you know, this taps into this innate biological um, response. So if you were to assume that we were at one point like Neanderthal cave people um, and there's like bushes of fruit and you're new and you just like arrive or something or you're part of it, but you see that all the grownups before you avoid a certain bush because they're like, oh, it's super bad and it's just disgusting and you'll die and you'll get sick. And that's probably because maybe one person ate a berry from there and got sick. Maybe they were allergic. Maybe something else was bothering them. So everybody starts saying that that bush is poisonous for whatever reason. People will then just 
avoid the bush, not eat from that bush, right? Because everyone else is saying it. And then there's always going to be that one person that's going to be like, well, I'm going to eat from the bush. Nine times out of 10, nothing's wrong with the bush. It's actually better fruit than the other bushes, right? But that's the problem with society. That if you do say or act in any way that the majority doesn't approve of, you're deviant. You're a problem. And they have conditioned us like this through social, um, you know, programs, through mainstream media, through advertising, through repetition, through our educational systems. They have conditioned us to think that if you don't think within this box and if you don't agree with what everyone else is saying, then you're the problem then you're the problem and it's a lie and it's fake. And I've said this before. I had great instructors and mentors throughout my life. And one of the best ones was the one that told me question everything. They say that this is the law of physics. Question it. And the more you question it and the more you try to prove it wrong, the more it'll show you that it's right and it can stand on its own or it'll show you that it fails. That is what every single person should do. Because right now we've had over a hundred years of social conditioning to not question things we are told. And this is the problem. People, you know, I actually feel bad for these people. I feel bad for people who listen to the majority and have no identity. This is why people don't know what sex they are. This is why they don't know what they want to be when they grow up. This is why they don't know where they stand in society, what voice they have, what color their hair should be, if they want kids or not, if they want to ride a bike or ride a car. They don't know because they are waiting to be told what because they have no identity people that lack an identity that lack assertiveness are people that are easily influenced and are what we call sheeple so uh, I wanted to say that because this is very important um, and this is why, um, you know, we're finding it really difficult uh, to put our message through, not because we're not the majority, we are. And that's the weird thing is that these ideologies of not having assertiveness on your own person or uh, being um, or objecting to uh, narratives that, you know, defy logic and common sense, uh, that kind of feeling that that we have about it uh, is actually um, diminished and uh, how should I say um, reduced because they amplify the message of the few. They amplify the message of the few people that exist that still comply to their ideologies. Uh, and this is why we feel like we're not being heard when we are, because all we have to do is rely on the fact that the message is being heard somehow, you know, is still, we're not fully censored yet. And those of you that are using Chrome browsers, you are now not allowed to access certain sites from the Google Chrome browser, just so you know. Uh, So use the Brave browser on the front end of the internet. I actually find it very good. Um, So people are now, you know, at the point where they don't know if, you know, I get messages like this all the time. And, you know, uh, this month has been just extremely busy because, you know, I'll be gone for a few days, which is really hard with this project I have. And, you know, uh, 
everyone's like, oh, I feel like we're losing or we're not seeing enough being done or, you know, it's just so overwhelming. They own the whole world or, you know, and people that understand the whole dynamics of how these unelected persons operate throughout the world, you know, feel this sense of pessimism or loss because they feel that there are really a lot of people out there that think in that insane manner that, um, you know, we should all be vanilla and we should all accept everyone and, you know, to go for this fake goal of ultimate happiness. But that goal of ultimate happiness is to tell you that there is no God, there is no afterlife, there is only the now, which when something like that comes to the forefront, it pretty much urges you to believe that um, there are no repercussions for behavior that we consider, well, us morally just people consider wrong. And um, I, I, I get it. I listen to all of you. I understand. But you don't see that this is why... The, the reason you're feeling this is because they have the megaphone. They have the print, the TV, the um, airwaves, the, the, the social media. They control it and they just amplify. They've got a room with someone with like 20 million iPhones like sitting there and updating and pretending they're someone real. This is how they... Uh, create this illusion that they are the majority when they're not. I mean, Megan Rapinoe, how disgusting of a person is that? Like, I don't know how she has sponsors. I don't know who her sponsors are. You know, it makes you wonder, do these companies not feel uh, the consumer um, concerns in their pockets? And if so, that means that everyone that believes that, you know, we should have America first, that believes that people should be respecting our flags, that believes that, you know, we should not be a global, you know, government and we should not have open borders. That means that all of you are not holding your word of, I'm going to show you I'm not doing this. This is where you show they hurt where it comes to money. I mean, look at Dick's Sporting Goods. That's the only one that literally got hurt. And that's because, you know, the whole gun, <laughs> the gun issue. Uh, we'll continue this right after the break. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that you can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. 
Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam sounds great right even better your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease if you're a u.s citizen between 50 and 80 you can get life insurance guaranteed it's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. Uh, so even though I wanted to continue on the mainstream media's uh, push to us, I just wanted to tell you guys um, something about Epstein before I get into it. And I wanted to start off with it. But uh, the messages that keep coming in do distract me. Okay, so I wanted to tell you guys that I was advised that um, today Jeffrey Epstein's uh, new law firm, Steptoe, will be submitting a document. I think they were submitting it last night. Anyway, I, got, I I was privileged to see it, and it was electronically filed. Um, and this is where they're asking, you know, they're kind of debating that the, you know, he's inferring that he might be um, in double jeopardy, that he's been tried for things like this and whatnot. And they are asking for him not to be jailed. So um, what they're asking is like that he's home detained in his Manhattan residence. I thought that we confiscated that and broke down the doors, but oh well. Um, and that he can't leave unless he has medical appointments and that pretrial services approve that. Um, and that he will be wearing a, a GPS um, device, uh, that um, he will not apply for a passport and ask for a new one, uh, that he uh, allows the U.S. to extradite him from any country and waives all his rights against any such extradition. So if he were to skip town and, say, go to France, that he waives his right and he won't you know, contest uh, France extraditing him. And then uh, they also said that um, he is more than happy to pay a substantial personal bond so he's happy to drop some serious coin um and uh, the bond shall be secured by a mortgage as well on the Manhattan residence. We don't need a mortgage because we've confiscated it, according to the executive order the president put out on December 22nd, 2017. And then um, 
they also go on to ask uh, that, um, you know, to actually maybe say that his brother, um, Mark, uh, will be like a co-signer for the bond to secure a mortgage on Mark's house um, in West Palm Beach, Florida as well. And that um, his friend David Mitchell will also be uh, a co-signer for this bond and pledge investment interests in two properties to secure it. So all these people are coming forward. I'll put my house on the line for him. This, he shouldn't go to jail. And then uh, they're also saying that he would also, um, you know, put his private jet up for collateral. Um, he won't, um, he will deregister all the vehicles and any means of transports he has in the New York area uh, that he will, you know, tell everyone where all his vehicles are. Uh, he's also going to, you know, give the pretrial services unlimited random access to his residence that no one will come into his house unless it's Epstein or his attorneys without approval and that Epstein will report by telephone to pretrial services, um, you know, uh, daily, you know, to call in and say, yo, I'm here. A trustee or trustees will be appointed by Mr. Epstein a residence and report any violation and um, any other conditions that the court does. So basically, they don't want him to be jailed. This is something that they don't want. Now, think about it this way. Is he a flight risk? Oh, yes, he is. He's got so much money and so much power. He could just hop into somebody else's jet where they don't put him on a manifest and he is gone. He is gone like the smoke, right? He is gone, completely gone. Passport, he could probably buy one from Venezuela or he'll just go to Brunei, you know, the Brunei, the Sultan of Brunei will have him. I mean, we don't have relations with him and there's no extradition treaty. So, hey, you know, he can go to those nations that he's been serving for a very long time. So, he can hop on any plane and go. Or he can just go to the closest embassy of one of those nations and seek asylum and the U.S. can't do anything. Uh, you know, no. So this is a an odd move that I didn't expect considering that he knew that he was going to be arrested. See, Epstein knew he was going to get detained. Epstein knew he was going to get arrested. Epstein knew that we were looking into him as of, you know, January 2017. He knew this. This is why his island caught fire twice, once, twice. What are the odds? Let's burn the evidence. So, and then you have to think, if he burned it, did he get insurance money? Because I'm sure he insured the property. So did he get a payout for it? And what was the outcome? That'll be interesting to see because usually those insurance companies are U.S. based. It's not like the Caribbean have their own type of insurance companies. And since he's an American, he would have a U.S. insurance company. So it would be fun to see if that company is, I don't know. AIG that paid out because AIG is a very big insurance company. They actually, I had um, car insurance with them when I travel. So when I would be coming um, to the United States uh, throughout my uh, life and going back and forth between the US, Europe, South America, whatever, my main um, car insurance was AIG insurance because it's global. You can get like global car insurance now like your only country. I mean, that's how it works. So um, I'm just wondering, maybe AIG, you know, 
which also is part of Deutsche Bank, was the one that paid him out. I mean, I'm just saying. So these are all things we should be kind of paying attention to, um, especially when there's filings as such. These are things we should be discussing, obviously, because flight risk match, yes. Uh, will he will he fly more than likely five seconds after he's out that door he's probably vanished like smoke so uh you know that's a concern that is a concern and like i said aig will be coming to the forefront now i wanted to state that because that'll be breaking at some point later on today and like i've always said you get the news here First, always. All right. So moving along, uh, we have the president again tweeting about Mexico doing a great job. Um, but he says China is letting them down and haven't been buying the agricultural products from our farmers like they said they would. Hopefully they'll start soon, which is like, yo, we had an agreement. What's up? Why aren't you doing it? So China's a little bit dragging their feet because they're finding a lot of issues with the discussions that we're having. And now um, he also tweeted out, it seems that the Brits and the French and the Germans are coming around to the idea that the Iranians are up to no good. Now we're going to talk about that. And then the Dow just hit 27,000 for the first time ever. That's incredible. Uh, so happy I was able to keep uh, Sikorsky helicopter in the great state of Pennsylvania. That's fabulous. A big subject today at the White House Social Media Summit will be the tremendous dishonesty, bias, discrimination, and suppression practice by certain companies. We will not let them get in the way, get away with it much longer. The fake news media will also be there, but for a limited period of time, he said. Um, in, uh, in he, he said, uh, the fake news is not important or as powerful as social media. They have lost tremendous credibility since that day in November of 2016 that I came down that escalator with the person who was to become your future first lady. When I ultimately leave office in six years or maybe 10 or 14, just kidding. They will quickly go out of business for lack of credibility or approval from the public. That's why they will be all endorsing me at some point, one way or another. Could you imagine having sleepy Joe Biden or Alfred Newman or a very nervous, skinny version of Pocahontas, 124th, as your president, rather than what you have now, so great looking and smart, a true stable genius? Sorry to say that even social media would be driven out of business along with it. And finally, the fake news media, 100% correct. Now, just to top that off, that shade that he just threw and those facts that he just threw at them, I wanted to play John Voight's, you know, he, I think he posted this like a couple of days ago. I loved it. Take a listen to what he says. And, and then, you know, I, you know, while I was watching this, I was thinking his daughter is so insane. I mean, I'm a parent, I would totally be freaking out if my daughter was close to his insane as his in regards to her views of things. But anyway, take a listen. My fellow Americans, I stand with you and the truth of our nation with great pride and honor. I say this truly from a place of God's truths. Our nation is stronger and wiser because we have taken a chance on a man who has become the greatest president. I'm honored to call him President Trump. And as we come closer to 2020, let us track all the magnificent documentations that have been signed, sealed, and delivered to this country and its glory. We must continue this race of truths 
and stand with President Trump for his next win. Because this is more than a win. This is not a sacrifice. This is God's honor, God's trust for this nation, for this land of liberty, for justice for all. This is America, this land of the free. This is our president, Donald Trump, that will set the nation to be the greatest land of peace and love and great again. God bless. Oh my gosh, how awesome was it? I totally love him. He's so sweet. Uh, it was incredible. Uh, his uh, his whole statement embodies exactly what many of us feel. President Trump has become the best president our nation has seen. I mean, many people will say, oh, well, it was George Washington. Well, he started it. And yeah, he's never going to, you know, fall back on that. Abraham Lincoln, another great president, you know, he changed the world and paid for it with his life. Uh, you know, uh, we have Garfield. We have um JFK, we have Reagan, we even have Nixon. I know a lot of people don't like Nixon, but you know, he did a lot that, you know, he's not gotten credit for because, you know, the mainstream media told you what to think about him. Um, so that's the way it is. Um, our president has done so much for our nation in such a short period of time. And that's not due because he's more efficient. It's just that he has more tools to become more efficient, right? Uh, it is 2019. It's not 1865. It's not 1965. You know, it's not 1776. It's 2019. So obviously he's going to be more efficient in the way he um, executes uh, what he wants to do. So um, that for me, um, speaks volumes to have a president that conducts himself in a very efficient manner. Now, uh, before anything, uh, I wanted to play a clip from the um, House Judiciary Committee. I'm trying to get that clip going. Is this the one? Hold on. Let me just take a check. I want to make sure I have the right one. It's live, so obviously it moved my placeholder to where I had it, where they were discussing Mueller, and it's pretty incredible because they want to authorize subpoenas for documents and testimony from um, current Trump administration officials, which is really weird, right? Um, it's just, I, I don't know, I find it odd. L let me see. I think this is it. Here we go. Gentleman yields back. The gentlelady from Texas recognized for a unanimous consent statement. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Chairman. And uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. This is the gentlelady yeah. from Texas. Yeah. There, too. There, too. There, too. Um, I ask unanimous consent to submit into the record an article of the New York Times. Trump urged Homeland Security official to close border despite an earlier promise of delay, April 12, 2019. And an article um, dated June 21, 2019. There is a stench. Soil clothes and no baths for migrant children at a Texas center. The New York Times asked unanimous consent to submit that into the record. Without objection, the, that, those articles will be entered into the record. I now recognize the gentlelady Thank you. California for a unanimous consent statement. Uh, I just would ask unanimous consent that my statement indicating that I was in the science committee this morning on a very important hearing on climate change was the only reason why I was not able to be here this morning, and I counted on my colleagues uh, to articulate the reason why we need 
uh, this information from the department and that, these witnesses. That objection, the state will be entered into the record. For what purpose is the gentleman from, uh, from Florida seek recognition? Move to strike the last word. That uh, the uh, gentleman is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I honestly don't know where to start, so I'll, I'll start in responding to uh, the gentleman from the other side of the aisle on basically insinuating that Republicans don't care about the humanitarian crisis at the border when 176 Republicans voted for the border humanitarian supplemental and 129 Democrats voted against it or voted for it. So there's more Republicans that voted for the border humanitarian funding than, it, than Democrats were. So I, I don't understand this, this auspice that we as Republicans don't care about the humanitarian crisis on the border. Um, I, I think it's absolute, you know, I've only been in Congress six months. Uh, I came from a state legislature, uh, served eight years in the state, state legislature in Florida. And uh, I chaired the Florida Senate Judiciary Committee in a state where there's 22 million people. And never as the chairman of the Florida Senate Judiciary Committee would I have ever disallowed members of my committee, in the minority or in the majority, to not have the opportunity to question a witness of such import as Bob Mueller. So it's my understanding, as of yesterday, I was told that we would have a closed-door session after the open-door session where members who aren't in the famous 11 to be able to question would have the opportunity to question him in a closed-door setting. So at least we would have an opportunity as members of this committee to ask him the important questions that I think every member of this committee should have the opportunity to ask him. I, I would think even my colleagues who came in in my class as in the Democrats are a little upset by the fact that they're not going to have the opportunity to ask the, one of the biggest witnesses that has been brought to this committee that everybody's been talking about on both sides of the aisle for the last six months and ask them what questions they feel is important. Uh, just like I have a background that lends itself to asking tough, challenging questions, uh, Mr. Armstrong, Mr. Klein, both good litigation attorneys, Mr. Rushenthaler, who was also a JAG with me and served around the same time frame. Those people have the opportunity and should have the opportunity to properly question uh, a, a witness before this committee. And I'm very, very troubled by the fact that the United States House of Representatives Judiciary Committee, where this chairman has spoken on several different news syndicates about impeachment and the impeachment proceedings start from this very committee, every committee member on this committee is not going to have the opportunity to question one of the biggest witnesses who opined on the Mueller report. And I think that's very, very distasteful and uh, flies in the face of the five-minute rules and the rules of this House, the rules of this committee, and the five-minute rules that allows members of this committee to ask important questions to important witnesses here. Okay, so just to summarize, did you hear what he said? That Nadler, they're going to have Mueller, they're going to have an open session, and then they're going to have a closed session, but not everyone on the Judiciary Committee is allowed to speak or ask questions to Mueller. That sounds like a dictatorship. That does not sound like, you know, anything. Kelly Armstrong is my representative from my state, and he speaks for me. So if Kelly's not allowed to ask questions to Mueller, that means that every single citizen of the state of North Dakota, right, American citizen that resides in the state of North Dakota has no voice in this. So they've just excluded a whole state because we only have one congressperson representing the whole state so just to understand the gravity of this statement the house judiciary committee will not allow every member of the judiciary committee to ask questions to Mueller. 
Did you understand that? That means that Nadler has chosen, and I'm just giving one example, that the state of North Dakota has no representation, has no right to ask. So for almost a million citizens, our one representative is excluded from asking questions on our behalf. Grab the gravity of that. This, I don't know how this is even happening. How is this is even being allowed and how... No one is out there because this has been out in the ether for over an hour and no one has tweeted about it. No one has said anything about it. No one has contested it. They're just like, mm. and Nadler really doesn't care. Listen to the continuation here. Uh, I, I just think it's a travesty and uh, I look forward to supporting those 11 that get the opportunity to speak. And I would yield my time to any Republican member. I will yield my time to Mr. Gates of Florida. Thank the gentleman for yielding. And having heard the concern of my colleagues who won't have the opportunity to ask questions, I wonder if there's a way for us to work together to, to maybe solve that. Mr. Chairman, would, would the chairman entertain a, a, a request? To, or would, would, would the chairman be likely to entertain a request uh, to perhaps go from a five-minute rule to a three-minute rule so that we could get more members involved in the questioning? The uh, rules of the House and the rules of the committee provide for a five-minute rule. Nothing prevents uh, members on a, on a uh, uh, voluntary basis from yielding time. Would, so, yeah, I don't expect us to sort this out here on this markup. but uh, That's my observation. Yeah, w w but would the chairman be willing to enter into negotiations with the minority about perhaps a unanimous consent rule package before the Mueller hearing to maybe reduce the amount of time and increase the member participation. I'm not asking the chairman to commit to it, but will the chairman entertain those negotiations with the minority? The chairman will entertain any reasonable uh, discussions. Well, I would encourage my colleagues then on the Democratic side who might want to ask questions, you know, to work with us and see if there's a way to create more member participation, even if that means shortening the question time. So um, look forward to working with you on it, and I yield back to my colleague from Florida. I yield back to the ranking member. I think the interesting thing here is it's, it's sort of sad that we're having to sit here and even discuss this, and lowering time is not. Let's go back to the actual rules of the House, which I'll, I'll, I'll pose the question and ask the chairman again if he would like to explain. How do you actually expect to stop the hearing next week? I'm going to repeat what I said a few minutes ago. This line of discussion, frankly, is beyond the scope of this markup, and I'm not going to comment further. That's pretty interesting. I, 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 I'm good. taking my time back. I have been, excuse me, let me continue. I have been very... It's my time. I've, it's, it's I reclaim my time. This is my time. The gentleman asked me a question. Uh, this one, I have been very uh, uh, lenient in permitting people to discuss uh, the procedures at the, at the Mueller hearing uh, with, uh, at length, which is beyond the scope of this... Uh, of this markup, but I'm not going to comment on it further. This is my last opportunity, reclaiming my time again, and I lost 30 seconds of it. The gentleman this will is, be granted his 30 seconds. It is my understanding, because this is the only markup that we're going to have before Mueller, that, that us here on the bottom row are going to have the opportunity to bring this issue up in a public setting and talk about it. So I absolutely have the right to bring it up right now in this markup to talk about the fact that myself and my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, who aren't in the famous 11 that are going to get the opportunity to talk, don't have the opportunity to ask questions to Bob Mueller, one of the biggest witnesses coming to this committee. And we absolutely have the right to discuss this today because this is the last opportunity that we have to discuss it before he's coming in before a hearing. The gentleman yield back? I yield back to the ranking member. The gentleman yields back. Uh, 
Gentleman, no, the gen gentlelady from Texas is recognized. For what purpose is the gentlelady from? All right. For what purpose does the gentlelady from Texas seek recognition? Uh, Mr. Chairman, to strike the last word. Gentlelady is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I do want to thank you for your leadership on this issue. I think it's very important uh, that we move forward. Uh, I know there's been a lot of discussion about a lot of different things, and, and like uh, my neighbor next door here, uh, Mr. Nagush, I, I, I just want to get us back in focus that this is really about the subpoenas, and it's, it means that it's, it, to me, I've heard the word subpoena binge. It's not a subpoena binge. It's about taking action for accountability for the American people. It's about action. It's not about a binge. It's about accountability. It's about the rule of law. It's about the Constitution. And those of us here at this table as a voice for the American people that elected us to be here. I find it disheartening to hear some of the discussion that's been going on uh, because we're losing focus. We're not keeping our eye on the ball, and that is to make sure uh, that we know what happened, why it happened. And okay, I'm going to stop her right there. So, you know, she's sitting there saying what her job is, what, um, you know, how she's the voice of the people, how, uh, you know, uh, she's doing everything for the people and how important it is. But they seem to forget that the bottom line is, is that, uh, they're excluding voices of the people uh, by not allowing uh, all of them to ask questions. And for some reason, other voices are more important than others. And I tweeted out uh, during, you know, these discussions that they were having how the state of North Dakota only has one representative, one representative, and he is the one that can, that represents all voices of North Dakotans that we elected to be our voice and they have excluded him from having any ability to ask any questions to Bob Mueller. This is a very big deal. There it's this is their subpoena thing on family separation policy that they're really talking about there is a bunch of bogus and a bunch of rubbish. The bottom line is they just want subpoenas. She's sitting there giving you this gracious testimony of how they're representing citizens, yet they're excluding a whole state from asking questions to Bob Mueller. That is a problem. I'm just bringing up one example because there's so many other representatives that are being excluded from this. Yet they want to subpoena people about family separation policies. Family separation policies that President Barack Hussein Obama put in place that created the cages himself. Yet we're supposed to be accountable. We're supposed to be called to the carpet, not them. So after this break, uh, we're going to be discussing more on Epstein, uh, a little bit more in depth, discussing some developments that are to be coming, some filings that were done on behalf of Maxwell. I mean, it is getting really heated. It is getting really crazy, too. So um, I want all of you to just, you know, get on there. Email your representatives that are part of the Judiciary Committee, if they are, and demand that your voice be heard, that you be heard and you have the opportunity as a representative, that your representative has the opportunity to ask questions for you because their job is to represent you. Uh, on that note, I'll see you all in just a bit.
Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. This is the second hour where we're going to talk um, about this. Uh, well, I just want to play a clip from uh, Kelly Armstrong that said exactly um, what I said, and I didn't see it until the break, that his constituency will have zero voice during this Mueller questioning. So I'll play that for you. We'll talk about Turkey and Libya. Uh, we'll talk about uh, what's going on there. We'll talk about Ilhan Omar in Turkey, which is huge. And then we'll um, uh, talk a little bit more. About, we'll talk about Epstein. So I think I'll just start with Kelly Armstrong and we'll move on to Epstein and then talk about more of the foreign policy stuff that are going on. Take a listen to what Kelly said. It was recognized. And with all due respect to my friends on the other side of the aisle, not all these subpoenas are for uh, zero tolerance policy. So we are talking about that. Uh, and we're talking about Jared Kushner, David Pecker, uh, Rod Rosenstein, and we know full and well those aren't for those. So um, we have spent over two hours in hearings arguing about whether the attorney general can be held in contempt for not violating the law. We've spent over two hours in these hearings talking to John Dean and three cable news pundits about whether there's obstruction of justice. We've spent two hours, over two hours in this committee talking about a bipartisan solutions to the Mueller, Mueller report, which changed the, the nature and the testimony brought to the hearing changed the day before. But we're going to spend two hours and nothing longer talking to the guy who wrote the report. I have joined, I joined ranking member Collins very early on saying, let's bring in Bob Mueller. He's the one who wrote it. Let's deal with it. Let's go through that. Let's have all of that. And now we've been dealing with these circus sideshow hearings for months. And we've been doing it constantly. And it's not because any witness that has been in front of those tables has had anything substantive to add to what has gone on in this report. It is a narrative. It is a messaging hearing. We've done them over and over again. And I've sat through every one. I try to be in my chair as much as possible. I try to commit the com to contribute to the committee as much as possible. I find out this morning that next week, I have my, my constituency has no voice in this hearing. None. Not a single voice. I'm not going to be able to participate. And I'm not here to whine and kick dirt. I, quite frankly, I don't think people sent me to Congress to whine and kick dirt. But I think it's unbelievably disrespectful to every member of this committee, and I think it's unbelievably disrespectful to my constituents to put those kind of parameters in place. So with that, I would kind of end on a question, and if we are going to limit the guy who wrote the report to two hours of committee time, I'm hopeful that we are considering limiting all of these hearings we have with these subpoenaed witnesses 
to two hours of time because if we're not if we're not going to spend more than two hours dealing with Bob Mueller while he's here in our committee, then I don't think we should be spending more than two hours dealing with any of his underlings that we're trying to pull in front of the committee for another sideshow. So with that, I yield back. Uh, well, I yield to the ranking member. I, th- I thank the general for yielding. You make a great point. I mean, we had Hope Hicks for eight hours. Hope Hicks for eight hours on transcribed interview. I'm still waiting to hear from the chairman how he had plans to get around the fact that we're breaking and violating the rules on the five-minute rule and only limited to 11 people. I guess they're going to pull that magic, oh, we're going to adjourn. That's not right. It's not right to your members. It's not right to this member. This committee got rolled. Let's admit it. And we're in a position now to where you've got members on our dice. You've got a lot of members on your dice. And I can see they're excellent attorneys. They would ask great questions. But this is where we're at. And these subpoenas, and I, I would understand, look, we've never objected to having oversight hearings on the border or any part of it. We've, this is this the prerogative of this chairman. You could have these, and you're having some more next week, and there was no need for subpoenas there. Again, I think when you just look at it from a legal perspective and oversight perspective, the question becomes is these are so broad in asking what we're looking for. I mean, come on. This is where we're having a problem. We needed to change the narrative today. This is what this is about. This is for that table right over there and for those on the camera. This is what this is about. We need to have oversight hearings. We need to do an investigation of the board. We need to do these things. But also our members need to be able to talk to Robert Mueller. If he's actually going to come, then have that conversation. But when Intel gets to ask all of their questions, every member will get to ask questions. We don't. When we have jurisdiction primary of this, that's a problem. And you can argue that we need these subpoenas, and I appreciate my, my colleagues saying, yes, we need subpoenas. Fine. You're going to have the votes here in a minute to authorize these subpoenas. But again, let me just go back for just a second. Some of these have never had contact before, never been contacted by this committee, and we're leading with a subpoena. Okay. That's what we want to do. But at a certain point in time, I think it's a deeper, deeper issue that is very concerning is that when over the last number of days we've been given mixed reports every time we've almost asked on what this hearing is going to look like next week. Mixed opinions. First, it started off with three different hearings. First, it started off, and this is straight from the chairman's mouth to me. But now we're finding out 11. So I, I, mean, I'm, I'm, I guess we just decided that the state of North Dakota shouldn't have a, a voice in this. I guess that's what we've done. And Florida and, and others and California just don't have a voice in this. Don't tell me this is the best we can get. And also, as I was reminded earlier, and as the chairman reminded me on several occasions earlier when we had these kind of hearings, he leaned over to remember, witnesses don't get to uh, dictate terms. I guess Chairman Schiff gets to dictate terms and the witness gets to dictate terms. With that, I yield back. Incredible, right? This is stuff we see in dictatorships. We are at a point where we have people that are elected to represent us and being disallowed to ask the questions because, you know, I sent a bunch of questions to my representative that I want posed to Mueller. And I hope each and every one of you sent them an email, you know, go to their website, send a contact and say, yo, when you're interviewing this person, I'd like you to ask this question for me, please. This is their job. This is why they've been elected. And I'm really glad I had missed, I had missed that on C-SPAN, uh, cause you know, they're so long when they're live that you kind of tune out after a while. It's gotta be like a full-time job to just watch all of these hearings. But you know, that, that was mentioned that Nadler chose to say that the state of, you know, North Dakota and the state of Florida and California are excluded. You're, you're not allowed to ask questions because we said so. 
So this is a problem. And I'm hoping, uh, you know, Speaker Pelosi, she's the Speaker of the House, uh, regardless of, uh, you know, her uh, party affiliation as the Speaker of the House, she is obliged to me and you and everybody else to uphold the rules of the House and make sure that each and every one of us have our voice represented. So, you know, for me, I think um, this is a very big deal. So uh, let's shift gears and talk Epstein a little bit. So I'm not going to talk Epstein in regards to um, what uh, businesses he's done. I'm going to do a huge uh, Epstein show um, uh, tomorrow because um, there will be a lot to talk about on Friday. Uh, because now we have um, a lot of filings that have happened yesterday and today. Obviously, I told you the one where they're asking that he's out on bail. But there were also letters being sent um, to Jasane uh, Maxwell to, um, you know, present herself. Uh, so they received so from the judge an order to appear at, um, you know, kind of like a court conference where you kind of all sit down and see where we're going and that parties start to have discussions on what's going on. So basically, she was asked to present herself and the firm that represents Maxwell, um, you know, saw the appeals of the previous Judge Sweet's orders denying, uh, you know, unsealing of, uh, you know, motions that were made. Now, Miss Maxwell had um, already said no to Virginia Guffries, who was then known as Virginia Roberts' efforts to unseal uh, public materials and information that they think are properly sealed so that she's not allowed to, like, show stuff. You know, the, the, like, Virginia Roberts' attorney really tried tried to make a lot of details public and they were successfully sealed so nobody can see it. Now, uh, this letter uh, that is being sent uh, to Judge Preska is done so uh, in the asking of, uh, you know, this discussion, this conference, and um, stating that uh, due to issues of jurisdiction that Miss Maxwell's uh, lawyer, uh, Jeffrey uh, Pagluka, um, and the lawyer that sent this letter are unavailable to participate in person at the conference because one of them, Laura Menninger, is out of the country, but they'll participate by, by telephone. And they ask that the conference be scheduled for another date. And they also said that the council um, uh, for people that are intervening, uh, like the Miami Herald, Julie Brown and Alan Dershowitz, have not opposed the request to continue um, the conference, to put it later. Uh, though Sanford Bohr for the re- uh, for the Herald interveners, um, you know, the dates that they're available is August 6th through 8th, 14th, 16th. Dershowitz gave his dates and they're available for all of those dates. And they have not received any available dates from other councils. So this is what they stated, right? So I want to say that um, a letter was sent uh, on behalf of Mike Cernovich and the uh, group, Randaza Legal Group, said, we represent intervener Michael Cernovich of Cernovich Media and oppose the letter of motion of Ms. Maxwell to adjourn the July 11th conference. Although Ms. Guffrey, we're talking about Virginia Roberts, opposed our efforts to unseal, we are pleased to join her in exposing these Jeffrey Epstein-related documents as quickly as 
as possible. Thus, we object to the motion to adjourn. Your honor is um, new to the case, and we want to ensure that the court is fully prepared to unseal the record without delay once the mandate issues. Though Ms. Maxwell is considering filing a petition for rehearing, we believe it highly unlikely such a petition would be successful as a Second Circuit panel directly followed um, governing precedent. Ms. Maxwell otherwise appears to agree that the court authorized to hold the conference, notwithstanding the pendency of mandate. There should be no further artificial delay in unsealing the documents. Of the dates proposed, we are otherwise available 6, 7, 14, 15, and 16 of August in the morning of the 8th. Thank you. So um, they're going back and forth. It seems like, you know, uh, she does not want to be present, which is pretty interesting. Um, I'm... I'm going to say, and I'm going to go out on a whim here, this is going to be huge in the respects of not so much the people that are going to be exposed, but the vast network. So many, many times, you know, you hear people calling people conspiracy theorists because they believe that there's a conspiracy. Conspiracy just means a large group that is conspiring to do something or is doing something against interests of another group, right? That's basically what it is, okay? And so what we need to know is that um, uh, this unraveling, because I told you guys on Monday, on Monday, that Jeffrey Epstein is tied um, to the Bronfman's uh, Nexium. So they're all tied together. I've told you that. Um, I mentioned it, but it's so complex. Like even the Nexium case, it is so huge and still ongoing. We only saw the tip of the iceberg. And again, we see Allison Mack recruiting just like Maxwell would recruit and then train the the young children that were recruited to recruit others, like I spoke about Haley Robson yesterday, uh, who was, you know, this young girl from Florida that was swayed into this, and now she's doing porn. You know, this is what has been going on for a while, and you know, a lot of people kind of think, oh, it's 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 just a thing, it's just a small circle. No, it's everywhere, and their job, aside from feeding these uh, disgusting and nefarious carnal urges to assail children either that be for sexual pleasure uh, for you know cons for them to consume uh, for organ trafficking whatever it may be it's more so on the end of money it's more so on the end of owning insurance and having them available uh, three years ago I had discussed when the WikiLeaks dropped about a governor a guy who was a mayor in the state of Ohio and was running for governor there were some emails and this is where I grow very wary that were on WikiLeaks but no longer were where he had requested uh, you know he was discussing with John Podesta uh, that he wants to run for governor uh, his name was Brown and so uh, this discussion on the email was like yeah we should chat you know blah 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 and then the governor responded yeah thank you for that you know conversation we had whatever I you know I can't wait for our meeting and see how this can be and you know you asked me about this I prefer my pizza with no hair and you're thinking who would send that like why would you email someone I prefer pizza with no hair like who wants to eat pizza if it's just pizza with hair. 
So these are how they grab them and um, lure them into gr- getting insurance on them. They get them in places and positions where they see people like Clinton participating, like, uh, you know, other senators and congresspersons or big ballers, you know, with tons of money, uh, you know, big business people. You know, we could talk about um, Wexler. We could talk about all of them. Okay. But when you see them doing it, you kind of just join the group and do it and not think that they're just tying the knot on you. That's it. You see, Prince Andrew, you're all enamored because you're hanging out with sultans and princes and, you know, people that are worth billions. And you're like, boy, I'm part of this group now. I'm part of the cool gang. This is kind of like the hazing portion. All right, let me do this. You know, this is how I think the majority of them get swayed in. And it's all about insurance. And I've said this before. Epstein was the global you know, pimp, but he was also very smart and very conniving because hopefully through this and through the work that I'm doing in the background from the fires that I've set and hopefully uh, reaching out to people that have been looking into Weissman and his activities um, and collaborating with them, we can expose just how, you know, Epstein was not only the global pimp, but he set up to make so much money from hardworking Americans with this Enron thing. I mean, I can tell you guys, um, their energy was a very big deal. And I've said this before that I held um, uh, kind of like a global type clearance, which would be considered a Q clearance uh, for energy. And this is why I know this area very well, how they buy and sell nuclear packets, etc. I've um, been to many boutique firms uh, that live out of Monaco that trade energy Uh, boutique firms. We're talking like there's two huge guys that are worth billions and they're trading. We're talking Kuwaiti securities. We're talking, you know, um, uh, Nippon securities. And we're talking on the hedge part, these hedge fund managers. This was a very big deal because energy started in the 80s. You know, people were really excited. Uh, There was a big uh, hiccup in the early 90s between Aviva in France and China and their trades in nuclear packet energies. It's kind of like buying the power and then selling it. It's kind of like a different type of market. Let's just, I'm trying to dumb it down because it's so highly complex, but they're like buying energy and selling it like stock. And so there was a lot going on there in the 90s. Well, here in the United States, we had Enron. Now, Enron, if you actually look into it, and again, I should tell you guys one day about my trip to Panama, you'll see that there's a lot of Enron registered companies offshore in the Bahamas, and they don't only deal with energy. Enron Energy also had gold interest mineral in Venezuela. They also had um, a lot of interest in Nigeria. Uh, trading energy and trading trading minerals. So there's Enron Minerals. If you go to um, a website, you could just like, you know, go into DuckDuckGo and search um, uh, Panama Papers and just, you know, go to the search and just type the word Enron. You will see so many companies all there with so many countries next to them, like Enron Check, Enron This, Enron That. 
And what I'm trying to explain to you is that this was the brainchild of Jeffrey Epstein. He created this. And in 1995, okay, uh, he and the Clinton cartel got together as he was in the middle of his presidency and you know he had he had done a lot of bad things already to the United States of America Hillary Clinton just had pie in her face from uh you know her failed Hillary care which was Obamacare just called Hillary care and they were looking to see for the next venture. Now, in 95, when Clinton met with Epstein, these were the discussions and it was energy. And Epstein and the Clinton cartel created a company that was, in fact, the core of Enron. It was Enron, but Enron was like the front Enron. They were the 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 you know kind of like i said the, they were the storefront enron as a company was a storefront and behind it was another company with another very specific name that did everything now these people dabbled in purchasing like public utilities trading energy packets and everything but the front company um enron was just dealing supposedly with energy right but the company that they built the clinton cartel built with jeffrey epstein not only dealt with energy services right but they also led the pack in trading with you know big companies like frito-lays and and you know um procter gamble and you're thinking well if they're energy what are they doing guys they were skimming money off of every single person available everything hard-working americans their funds their mutual funds and they left making bank and their bank was made overseas because that enron company was registered as a foreign entity and even as registered in different states was named it was put down in many alterations as a fictitious name like it clearly says it on the secretary of state websites on different states now this company has also been purged from certain states has been purged and initially when it was created it was created to buy and sell or import export products through big companies what were they importing and exporting i want to know what the clintons had to import and export when bill clinton was the governor of arkansas i don't know maybe it had to do with mina Right. Because the hundred million dollars that were missing, you know, in regards to where's my money on the cocaine. Right. Had gone missing where in Arkansas. So these are all thoughts that people need to think about now. Again, all of you know how I feel about William Barr. I just want to kind of backpedal a little bit here. Not not backpedal. Sorry. Take you back in time. So William Barr, you know, I've told you his history. I've told you how he was, um, you know, he rolled out of college straight into the intelligence community. But one thing you don't know is William Barr's daddy was actually like the headmaster of the Delton School where Jeffrey Epstein used to teach. It was actually William Barr's dad that hired Jeffrey Epstein in at the time an all girls school that he made co-ed you know he was making the school bigger and more you know expand you know like expanding it and making it more prestigious I guess um he's the one that hired Jeffrey Epstein who had dropped out of college didn't complete his degree to teach like math and um you know sciences like physics and stuff like that uh so 
you have to wonder, like, William Barr's dad was the one that hired Jeffrey Epstein. So, hmm, I'm not saying that he's corrupt, but I'm just pointing out how they're all connected and how I've always told you to not put your eggs all in one basket. Now, moving forward to that, I just wanted to say that school, that prep school, Dalton, used to be, you know, all the big names, like even Ruth Bader Ginsburg's kids went to that school. So I'm just pointing out how close these circles are, okay? Just how close these circles are and how Jeffrey Epstein and the Bronfmans were together and how Mr. Victoria's Secret, Amber Crombie and Finch, you know, old fogey, um, funded things, how he, um, you know, swindled money. I told you guys about Hoffenberg. I only touched upon it and it was a Ponzi scheme, the same exact one he created with the Clintons and was a brainchild of it in 1995, 1996. So they can pinch off the Enron bandwagon and make bank, which they did. So these are all things. And you know who made bank, right? It was the Clinton initiative. Because when he says that he founded the Clinton Foundation slash Clinton initiative with them, it was because they used that company to take the money from the offshore company that they created where they swindled billions of dollars from hardworking Americans via this Enron Ponzi scheme. So this is where it gets down to. And the more I work with people that know the Enron case on uh, on another face as I know it on another and then merge the knowledge that I've gathered and the information I've gathered in regards to this company that was set up by the Clinton cartel and Epstein. This could be a huge deal because this would totally explain the misconduct of Weissman and how this was handled. Um, so I want you guys to know this Epstein thing tomorrow. We're going to have like a full show on it. After the break, we're going to talk Ilhan Omar and actual treason and what is going on with Turkey and Libya. It is really heating up. And Iran, Iran supposedly stopped or threatened a United Kingdom ship. We'll talk about that right after the break. I'll see you in a bit. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. 
plus it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Okay, welcome back everyone to the Tori Says Show. So in this last half hour, I want to let you guys know what is going on in the Middle East now. Uh, first of all, like I mentioned, uh, Iran and a UK ship had like a thing going on yesterday. Um, I will uh, just play this clip for you uh, from... CBS this morning so that uh, you can um, hear uh, what uh, they have to say about it. Just take a listen. The Middle East, Britain said overnight that three Iranian boats tried to intercept a British oil tanker. The confrontation took place in the Strait of Hormuz, a vital shipping lane at the center of current tensions with Iran. Charlie Daggett, who's reported extensively from the region, is following developments from London. Charlie, what happened? Well, British military officials confirmed to us this morning that Iranian boats attempted to impede that British tanker overnight before a Navy escort issued verbal warnings to get out of the way. British Navy officials tell CBS News this warship, the HMS Montrose, wedged itself between the cargo ship and three Iranian paramilitary vessels, demanding safe passage of this cargo ship, the British Heritage, registered to British Petroleum. The Iranian boats backed off. Did you hear that? Iranian paramilitary boats. What is paramilitary? That's a very specific word. Scrap on the high seas comes a week to the day since British commandos seized an Iranian super tanker off the coast of Gibraltar over allegations it was breaking sanctions by transporting oil to Syria. Accusations denied by Iran. Just yesterday, Iranian President Hassan Rouhani warned there would be consequences and that the British were sick to send frigates to escort their ships. Tensions were already running high after a series of attacks on tankers in recent weeks blamed on Iran. 
When we were last there, U.S. Navy gunboats took us to see up close the damage Navy investigators told us caused by the kind of limpet mines used by Iran's Revolutionary Guard. This despite a significant U.S. military buildup in the region, including the USS Abraham Lincoln Strike Carrier Group and B-52 bombers. Iran's Revolutionary Guard is denying that it confronted any alien vessels, especially British. They said that if they had received the order to seize a ship, they would have done so immediately. Okay, so that's from CBS. Now here's from Fox. With the regime warning of possible retaliation against the U.K. after the seizure of an Iranian oil tanker by British troops. And this is as we're already in the midst of an escalating tension in the region. So Fox News' Lucas Tomlinson at the Pentagon with the details. Lucas? Okay, so just before he starts, remember when I talked about the gray swan, the one that I told you was impossible to have crude oil, the one that they independently said, oh, yeah, I had crude oil when it when it, when it's a fuel, when it's a ship to ship fueling vessel. That's the one Iran was talking about. And remember the deadline for the EU to comply, right, with their agreement has passed. So here we are, the United Kingdom supposedly showing or demonstrating that there are threats. Why? Because I'm pretty sure that the IRGC did send those paramilitary. So that means not by the Ayatollah, right? Not by him, but the IRGC. Do you see the discrepancy here? The little thing? Because if it was their military, it would have been Iranian military, not paramilitary troops. Remember that. And so now the UK is trying to flex muscle and say, look, US, they're really being bad. Jump in here. Let's go to war. And we're not biting because we're just going to wait. It's all your problem now, Europe. But listen to what Iran said when they seized the Grace One. Susan, Iran summoned Britain's ambassador over the incident, which comes more than two weeks after Iranian forces shot down that US drone. President Trump issued this fresh warning to Iran before leaving for New Jersey. We'll see what happens with Iran. Iran has to be very, very careful. While Americans were celebrating Independence Day off the coast of Gibraltar near Spain, Royal Marines commandeered an oil tanker filled with suspected Iranian oil. The Marines fast roping from a helicopter and climbing up the hull from speedboats near the entrance to the Mediterranean. National Security Advisor John Bolton congratulated the British, quote, Excellent news. The U.K. has detained the supertanker Grace One laden with Iranian oil bound for Syria in violation of EU sanctions. America and our allies will continue to prevent regimes in Tehran and Damascus from profiting off this illicit trade. Now, Spain's top diplomat says U.S. intelligence tipped off the British. It was a demand by the United States to the United Kingdom, and we are looking into how it affects our sovereignty. This comes as Iran's president threatens to enrich its stockpile of low-enriched uranium past the cap set by the 2015 landmark nuclear deal. Highly enriched uranium is needed to make nuclear weapons. President Trump walked away from the nuclear deal last year. But other countries in the agreement are trying to hold it together. The president wants a new, wide-ranging agreement to include Iran's 2,000 ballistic missiles. And today, a former Iranian leader in its Islamic Revolutionary Guard says Iran needs to take that tanker back by force. Another official says they should seize a British tanker as well. Susan. Lucas, thank you.
All right, let's dig into this a little more. Joining us now, William Ruger, Charles Koch Institute Vice President for Research. William, I'm wondering what you're making of this specific incident and also how it raises uh, tensions in the Persian Gulf and, and how Iran may react in terms of retaliation. Well, thanks for having me here to talk about this important issue. I mean, I think one of the things we have to remember is that we shouldn't be surprised by Iranian behavior in some way, because since we withdrew from the deal, there's a lot less incentive for Iran to, to comply uh, and to behave. And I think what we need to remember and keep, keep really in mind here is that President Trump talked about how Mideast wars are for losers, right? They're not good for American national interest. And so what I think we need to do is keep in mind that we need to find a way forward here. And I think the president is committed to negotiations that could get us a deal. And we shouldn't have preset conditions because that will prevent the opportunity to really get there without war. Because, again, war isn't in our national interest here. And does it help President Trump with his mission um, that other countries are standing behind him? Are we stronger if we're united, for example, when taking on Iran? Sure. But again, the United States is the most important actor in this. And it's really up to President Trump, I think, to set the tone here. And I think this will be good for the United States to negotiate, to find a path forward. But it'll also be good for President Trump here, because electorally, it doesn't make sense to get into another endless war in the Middle East. And he talked about that. He talked about that during the campaign. He's talked about that since. And I think some of the polling that we've seen bear that out. Uh, a poll that was done by Vote Vets and Concerned Veterans for America, for example, recently found that a majority of Americans oppose attacks on Iran. And I think that this is a case, again, where President Trump's interest here is in peace, both politically and for our country. Yeah, no, the president has definitely made that clear. But of course, Iran uh, hasn't really stopped punching back at the United States. President Rouhani actually saying that it's going to continue to enrich uranium and they're going to move this ball forward. So uh, what happens if President Trump's hand is forced? Well, again, hopefully he'll cut through this and he'll find a path that is different from what his advisor, John Bolton, probably wants. And again, I think the president wants peace. I'm not sure that all of his advisors do. And I think really the president needs to assert himself to break through this, because, again, peace is in our interests here. We could deter Iran. Uh, that's really important that we do that. And we signal that we will strike back if we're hit. But the fact is, is getting to peace is the answer here. It's good for America. It's good for the global economy. It's good for our allies. And it'll be good for Iran to sit down and, and, and cut through this as well. well so, okay, so this this clip was very important for me to play. One, uh, you saw that Spain said that the U.S. intelligence told them that there was crude oil when everything points to, uh, nope, not crude oil. We see that the president himself didn't, uh, you know, pretty much make any specific comments on the Grace One. And the only person that we really saw uh, applauding such uh, seizure of this ship was Bolton. And I've talked about Bolton before. So Need, need not go to that. Now, what we have here is uh, some really um, insane things. Uh, I want to play a clip uh, from the news uh, that was uh, published just two days ago uh, about Haftar. We're talking Libya and Turkey. And Turkey will roll us into what I'm talking about, Ilhan, now. So Haftar accuses Turkey of seeking benefits by backing UN-recognized government in Libya. Now, why? I've told you you that the United Nations themselves self-declared that Tripoli and the GNA army that they've created is the only like recognized government of Libya, whereas Haftar is the uh, general 
of uh, the Liber- uh, the Libyan National Army, which we support, which Saudi Arabia supports, with which Egypt supports. You know, we're backing them, and they're based out of Benghazi. Um, take a listen to what's being said here. View. Putin has been blaming the U.S. for creating this mess in the first place. But Haftar recently was trying to take on Turkey, it seems. What do you make of these allegations being made by Haftar that Turkey is interested in its, protecting its interests? Well, um, you know, I think it is a kind of regional struggle, struggle um, between uh, the pro-democracy forces and anti-democratic forces. Overall, this is the greater picture that I can see. Um, Turkey is definitely supporting and recognizing the UN-recognized government based in Tripoli and the international community also is recognizing that the only legitimate government of Libya. On the other hand, I think some of the powers in the region who are really afraid of the democratic uh, transitions in the region are trying to undermine all of the revolutions not to be successful examples for the democracy because for the long term it will undermine their own legitimacy. And it's not only about Libya. In Sudan we see what's, what's happening and in Algeria as well and in the other countries that went through the revolution, especially some have been very much um, worried about their own future because in case of these uh, revolutions to be uh, successful, to lead to a successful um, governments, democratic governments, and the governments to go and come by fair and free elections for the Mm -hmm. long term, it will be a legitimacy problem. Mm -hmm. That's why they are uh, supporting Khalifa Haftar. On the other hand, that is true. In the region, we should not be in dreams. If international communities acting to shut down or topple down a dictator in the region or in a country, they should have plan B, what's the next day plan. And as the former president of the USA, Obama, also admitted, when the NATO started the operation against Gaddafi, they did not have the next day plan. So it's something serious. You're invading a country and toppling down the government, whether you like it or not, which I personally believe that Gaddafi was a horrible dictator. But on the other hand, if you are toppling down a government, whether it's good or bad, you should have the next day planning because you know that for that power vacancy, it's going to cost thousands of the lives. And this is exactly what we see in here. In that right. sense, I think Russia has a point. Okay, so I want to state something. So just so you guys know, when we took down Gaddafi, right, uh, the European Union laid claim to 15,000 square miles of water territory on behalf of Greece. So what's going on now with Turkey is I explained to you last week that Turkey has demanded and the European Union's like, what are you doing? No, this isn't yours to expand their waters to meet the the Libyan and Syrian shores um, and kind of eradicate international waters, take over the waters that are sovereign to Cyprus and Greece and take it over. Now, with this agreement that Turkey signed to be the R for Libya, for the UN-recognized Libyan army, the GNA, they are trying to reach a deal 
now that they've signed this with Libya to allow them to have access to their coast. So have coastal sharing. So now instead of Turkey just saying, oh, this whole, you know, bay here in Syria, Libya, you know, Jordan, Israel, all of that is all ours. Also, all of Turkey, all of all of um, Cyprus and um, part of Greece's waters are all ours. Now we want it to extend to Libya. So if the UN wants us to support this Libyan war with the GNA, which is being opposed by, you know, the United Emirates, by Egypt and by the United States who are supporting a free and independent Libya with General Haftar in um at leadership, uh, you know, this is basically what it is. It's land grabbing. These this is the Ottoman face now. Um, Turkey is a very big problem. I've said that since November. Any war that we will see will be coming from them. Uh, you know, they are now already training the UN-based Libyan army, which isn't really made up of Libyans. It's all mercenaries. We're talking terror cells, terrorists, the same terrorists that we see in Syria, the same terrorists that we see living and thriving in Turkey. Now, uh, uh, like I said, I'm going to be putting up an article about Ilhan Omar. And this article specifically will be demonstrating how she is literally committing treason. Now, obviously, many people have seen that she has met with the president of Turkey. She's received two congratulatory phone calls and has met with the um, Turkish foreign minister, uh, Kavatoglu. And um, she's also met twice with the Turkish ambassador. Now, all of these meetings have been done closed door means, you know, there wasn't any press. There wasn't like any public agenda. It was just them. Now I am demonstrating this. Why? If you remember back in 2017 and we're talking like November time, uh, the left, the Democrats had gone insane because Michael Flynn had like, you know, his intelligence group, they were working in Turkey. And then there was this meeting with Devin Nunes and, um, the foreign minister of, um, uh, say it of Turkey. And so the, there were so many articles, keep this in mind, Washington Post, Huffington Post, Politico, The Hill, that wrote about this. They were all up in arms, you know, and saying how, you know, um, Erdogan has connections with radical Islam. He's worked with Islamic and aggressive regimes. This is, I'm reading this word for word, such as Sudan and Iran. His Justice and Development Party, AKP, has roots similar to those attacked by Flynn. Erdogan's government has supported the Muslim Brotherhood, which Flynn criticized and claimed to be uh, the tradition of Gulen's teaching. And finally, as noted earlier, Erdogan initially aided the Islamic State's rise in Syria. So this is the left media saying this. But guess what? This article has been wiped from the Huffington Post's page. But yep, you guessed it. I can find everything. You put it on the internet. I will find it. I will find it. So they claimed, you know, they they claimed that, you know, Turkey, the title of it is Turkey has proved it's no longer a friend to the U.S. This is from 2017. This has now been purged. Every single of these leftist outlets, all the media's. 
you know, that had written about this have taken all these down, their videos down, they're talking about it down. And, you know, and they use this to attack Devin Nunez for going to some meeting that was with 50 or 60 other people claiming that he was talking with a person that's an enemy of our country. But here we have Ilhan Omar not only having um, meetings with the president and the foreign prime minister, but she actually went to their country and spoke. And specifically, she was invited to speak and discuss uh, matters like, oh, my gosh, President Trump has a Muslim ban. He doesn't want people from Somalia, Syria or Yemen and other countries coming to the United States. It's a Muslim ban. I oppose it. He needs to be more welcoming to us, etc. Now, Ilhan Omar has now gotten some really big backing. For the past two months, throughout all of Turkish media, print and radio and TV, President Erdogan and the Turkish foreign prime minister, the Turkish foreign minister, right, the minister of foreign affairs or what we would like to call the equivalent of the secretary of state, uh, you know, (laughs) have put out kind of like an APB globally saying that all Turkish people should be supporting Omar's reelection. Now, I have this all documented. Now, according to the law, you know, that's a big problem. I filed a complaint with a specific division that was created by uh, Christopher Ray, And that division is called the uh, Foreign Influence Task Force. He created it in the fall of 2017, right before all this, oh, Devin Nunes, you know, foreign influence, all this stuff, which proved to be a potato. Um What they do is, is they identify and counteract any malign foreign influence operations targeting the United States. That's what their website says. Foreign influence operations are actions taken by any foreign government to influence U.S. political sentiment or public discourse. I think when a president of a nation that is no longer our ally, the only commonality we have is what? That they're part of NATO and I don't know why they're still there. Um... And, you know, we're at we're we're neck to neck with them. They are intervening in waters that aren't there. They've chosen to take the S-400 missile systems from Russia rather than work with the U.S. that they had presented a down payment for the F-35s. They support the Muslim Brotherhood. They supported and paid and put forward all the terrorist cells that started all that crap in Syria, right? They are housing the orchestrator of the Benghazi attack in Ankara, right? Muslim Brotherhood and President Erdogan calls anyone that's not a Muslim a yawr, which is the equivalent of the N-word, you know, for anyone that's not Muslim. He calls out for the death of Israel. He calls out, no one's going to tell us what to do. He won't impose sanctions on Iran. He works with Iran. So again, they are not our friend. And yet we have the enemy of our nation by actions. We haven't declared it yet, but you know, kind of did. The enemy of our nation Right. Or let's just say not really an ally of our nation and we're in hot water with them. And not only that, that country has a level three alert on the State Department, which means that, you know, the State Department does not advise travel 
to Turkey. And specifically, it's because they have terrorist groups. Americans are being kidnapped, arrested, thrown in jail. So it's not even safe. So this country is not only meeting in private with Ilhan Omar, who has constantly stated how much she hates the United States, how much she loathes the United States, right? They're not only meeting in private, which I'm really hoping that there's a FISA warrant out on her. That should be just the first meeting with the president of Turkey. Turkey should have been enough to initiate a FISA warrant. But she sits on the Foreign Intelligence Committee. Who knows what kind of favor she's doing or what she's saying with them behind closed doors with representatives of Hamas, with representatives of terrorist groups and meeting with the ambassador of Turkey. And she does it in your face and doesn't care. Remember, Turkey, just a couple months ago, had a joint anti-terror operation with Iran. They played war games together to see what they would do if there were terrorists in, in coming into their country. So Ilhan Omar is talking uh, in private and having private conversations and now also being promoted for re-election by a government that is considered an enemy of our nation because they are harboring and funding terrorist cells, funding and aiding Iran, refusing to impose sanctions on Iran, bought Russian S-400 missiles, are part of the Muslim Brotherhood, aggressively entered and violated Cyprus's waters, aggressively demand expansion of their territorial waters to Greece, Cyprus, and Israel, uh, who strongly oppose it, signed a defense agreement with the UN uh, only, recognized Libyan Army GNA, headquartered in Tripoli, while the USA support General Haftar of the Libyan National Army with headquarters in Benghazi. This is who Ilhan Omar is. Now, I was kind of looking to see, does the Logan Act apply? Does it really? Mm. So, but I did, uh, you know, looking at what she's doing, it kind of reminded me of an old case, Braille versus Dull. And it was a very old case about, you know, revoking the passport or um, uh, to someone who's registered as a communist party. Now, while Omar is not really a member of a communist party, there are, though, federal laws that were discussed in this case, right? Several statutes dealing with people who act as agents of a foreign government and who correspond or hold discussions with a foreign government with intent to influence measures in relations to controversies and or disputes with the United States of America or to defeat the measures of the United States, such as, I don't know, Iranian sanctions. So Omar is on the Foreign Intelligence Committee, which is con- which is concerning. Now, this case said that if those statements were put forward, not only would they revoke his passport, but they would fine him for treason. So indeed... The U.S. Code 18, Code U.S. 18, U.S. Code 18, 2381 for treason is exactly what Omar is doing. Exactly for word for word based on that old case in regarding to Communist Party and revocation of citizenship and or passport uh, combined with that uh, court citation of what is considered a foreign enemy or colluding with a foreign enemy that would be considered treasonous, which, like I said, is holding discussion. Right. Holding discussions with a foreign government with intent to influence measures in relations to controversies and disputes with our nation, because I don't see how a congresswoman from Minnesota is chit chatting with the president of Turkey. And what are they doing? Discussing what Minneapolis, little Mogadishu in Minneapolis? No.
So this is a big problem and we are seeing it come to the forefront. Now I filed a complaint with the FBI in that specific division, the fifth division. So that way they can take a look into this and I am putting out all the tweets from Erdogan from the uh, ambassador of Turkey out so they can see and correspond. And I'm also going to be showing that article from the Huffington Post that claims that Turkey is not our friend and indeed our enemy. So if it applied to their argument against David Nunes and General Friend, it better apply to Ilhan Omar. Stop the bias. I'll see you all tomorrow for an explosive, in-depth Epstein show. On that note, have a wonderful evening and God bless from all of us at Red State. (laughs) 